Auntie's Three Stories. Welcome to the Representing Her podcast. My name is Esther and I'm your host. Stories give us an opportunity to learn from another person's experience. It can help shape, strengthen or challenge our opinions and values. Tune in each week to hear how my amazing friends and connections have navigated their journeys thus far. Let's explore those big and small questions together that we as young people have when it comes to our careers, our financial wellness and our personal wellness. As we go exploring, I am super excited for us to find those practical tools and answers together. So grab a drink, get comfortable and settle in. Hey, Esther. How are What's you? Hello, hello, hello. What, what why is there doing? a picture of you? Oh, I'm sorry. I never use Zoom on my MacBook. One second. Oh, God. I don't know who it is. It's, hey. It's hey. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, well, how are you? I'm good. Sorry, I had to change. I had to switch the office chairs because I was like, I want the more comfortable one. So I quickly got the one from the office. <laughs> And I was just like, why am I finding it so heavy to just carry this chair? Am I that weak? Um, so sorry, it took me, took me a minute to, to join. How have you been? Oh Good. my gosh, I feel like we haven't spoken in forever. It's so weird seeing you with the background because I'm so used to that. Like, it's like you're in the office. You know? I know, I know. I didn't have time to change it to my cozy background, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'll stuck with this. How's everything? Yeah. All good, all good. I've uh, yeah. I got braces. Since last oh. week, spoke. So oh it's my, my book weird. That's why. Yeah. I got oh. the Invisalign. Oh, how are you finding it? It's fine. It's a pain because uh, usually I'd have a coffee here, you know, pretty much at all times or a drink oh. or something. But you've got to take them out for any food or drink, which is actually a pain. Oh, goodness. It's more pain than I thought, but it's okay. It's fine. How long do you need to have them in for? Probably a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Interesting story. I remember in there was a period of time in secondary school when everyone had braces, mm. and with braces, um, you could get colors in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, I saw my mom. I was like, let's go see her. Like, <laughs> I want to get braces. So we went to the dentist and I wanted to see if I needed. I didn't actually understand that they had to check if you needed them. I just thought if you wanted them, you could get them. And they mm. said I couldn't get them because my I didn't need them. I was so upset. Oh, so I, I literally sent to my letters. I was like, please, can I just have them? I was like, everyone else has them. Yeah. <laughs> he just at me like, what? <laughs> he was like, no, sorry, we can't give them to you. <laughs> I remember being so upset for ages. And thinking back now, I'm just like, wow, Esther, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Welcome back to the Representing Health podcast. I'm here with Derek again. Um, Thank you very much, Derek, for allowing me to have a part two with you. <laughs> Last time we spoke was probably in November of 2021. I think that's, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's when we recorded the first episode, right? Was it that long ago? I think so. Okay, it's, yeah. It has been that long, because that was before yeah. Christmas, right? I don't know. I've lost track of this year. I can't believe it's I me. know. It definitely wasn't this year, because I know this year... Spent January in Nigeria, living life. And then, yeah, it wasn't this year. So I think it wasn't. It was basically the week after the iPhone 13 came out. <laughs> of course. That because was, that was <laughs> that's all you were talking about for like a whole month. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's been so what's new with you? What's happened since then? How have you been? What what's what's good? How's life been treating you? Oh well, uh congrats on the pod, by the way, because since oh, last week we spoke on it, then it's been launched. I'm really enjoying the episode so far. So uh great oh, work with it. Thank you. Really, Thanks, Derek. Really um, yeah, I'm loving it so far. What's going on with me is a couple of things I guess so since November is that right so yes. since November I've gotten engaged um and oh then, yes oh yeah. congrats again oh, yay <laughs> and, uh, I got a promotion work which might be uh useful later uh, as regards speaking about what I do day to day because now what mm-hmm. I do today it's even for me it's more interesting uh so I can get into that in a bit more detail um and that's pretty much it I, I also got Invisalign so again if I sound weird now <laughs> apologies I'm just getting used to them I only got them last week yeah do you know what if you hadn't told me I wouldn't have noticed you sound exactly the same so yeah oh amazing yeah it has been a while hasn't it yes the first question so that I've managed for all the episodes I've recorded so far to remember to ask this question apart from one of them which is the one I obviously did with my friends in Nigeria because they just talk too much and (laughs) and when I was editing it I was like oh my gosh we didn't even say what we were grateful for but I'm making a note to remember on every single episode to make sure well for this season I might change it up for the next season but yes what have you what are you happy about this week or what are you grateful for this week and this that's easy so I'm grateful for my mother's quick reactions and modern medicine. So my dad had a bit of a health scare last week um, and it wasn't actually looking too good for a short while. And now it's looking very, very good. So that's mm. it. Without getting into detail, he's doing really well. Um, oh, so that's dad. what I'm grateful for. Yep. Oh, sorry to hear that. And yes, I'm very glad to hear that, you know, she's doing really well. So is it your mum? No, sorry. It was my dad who had a bit of a scare. Oh, okay. Um, my mum reacted quickly. Ambulance came in the oh, hospital. Oh, okay. So no, I'm I'm glad that your dad is doing well. Yeah, health. Yeah. Do you know what health is so important? Sometimes when I feel like you know you have those down times where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, life's not going as I planned, or this or that. But then you have to actually just remember the things you should be grateful for, yeah. and like you're healthy, your families are healthy, and things like that. It's just like just be thankful for that um so yeah. what am I grateful for so I'm really grateful that traveling is becoming easier <laughs> I'm so happy because it was just a nightmare I think traveling during the COVID period not really understanding what you needed and now I think it's just become easier especially though, for those who have been vaccinated so um, some countries are no, no longer requiring tests and things of that sort so yesterday I actually took my mom to the airport because she's going to Nigeria and I'm so upset that I'm not going but um she's literally like buzzing every two seconds she's like oh don't be jealous uh, <laughs> she's going to Nigeria and I'm, I, I know she's so happy to, um she gets to spend some time with her sister um so yes we went to the airport it was much easier um you know just checking in no tests were required um but honestly and I, for anyone listening and who has African parents there's just this thing where they like to overpack so they know they know what the um baggage limit is 
But honestly, they put like maybe 10 or 15 kg on top of that. But they have no intention of paying for extra luggage. This is not like, oh, I, I need this. They have no intention for paying for extra luggage. This is just, oh, I don't know, maybe the scales will break randomly. And honestly, it's the most most frustrating thing ever. And I had to go home with all these extra things that she couldn't take on, that she knew she couldn't take on. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Ah, yeah, but I'm, I'm really glad um, for the ease of like traveling again. Hopefully, hopefully it does get better as we go ahead. Yeah, God, why would you bring on extra stress at the airport? Listen, this happens every single time. I just don't get it. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I really don't know why. And this is why I love to, every time I'm traveling, I usually travel with one of my best friends. I love getting everywhere too early. Like if I'm traveling, I'd rather be there four hours, even five hours early. And if I have to wait for a couple of hours, I put a film on Netflix and I watch it. But it's just because of these things, especially that I've seen growing up, there's always a rush. There's always extra stuff you need to do at the airport. But when I'm traveling by myself or just with friends, it's so much smoother. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know why, Derek. Honestly, maybe you should ask her, <laughs> you should ask her that question yourself because I've tried and it's not working. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm really grateful for. I'm just grateful for the weather and health as well. Um, as you've mentioned, just yeah, I think the weather is is beautiful today. It's picking up, it feels like summer's coming now. It has. And um, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've listened to uh, the conversation that we had together, the first episode, mainly because I had to edit it. But then again, it was just so interesting. Um, Obviously, I know you, but going into much more detail, I was able to see the different aspects of you and like understand what you've gone through a little bit more and like your journey, which was really nice. And I know we stopped at the part where we spoke about you deciding to do your MBA. And I'll never get over the fact that you did your GMAT in 11 days because I think that's just insane. It takes me 11 days to tidy my room. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it takes me that long. And um, I think it's just really impressive, but it also goes to show how determined you are as a person and you're just, you always kill everything you do. So it's, 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 it's fantastic. So why don't we start from there? I know uh, one thing that I did want to speak about a little bit, I know you spoke about your friends. I can't remember their names your two friends you went traveling with oh um back after the campaign tom and Nick. yeah yes. yeah um you spoke about that so I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about that because i know you touched on it i was like well, i want to know what countries you went to <laughs> oh. um yeah so maybe we can okay. start from there so that we can just put that to the side okay yeah i think last time i, I just said with those guys we went to puerto rico just for a holiday mm-hmm. they had a friend there genio and so we just had fun there for a week basically and then we went to uh San Francisco and we hung out there for a while if anybody's seen the film Milk actually I play a starring role in that there's the one with Sean Penn um you can kind of see the back of my elbow in one of the scenes oh please look at I was in shock I was like wait what are you really Derek your elbow (laughs) really we had nothing to do in San Francisco so we're walking up and down the hills and we saw there was a milk auditions going on so we popped in the three of us it wasn't really auditions it was uh as an extra basically so uh we applied, which just meant fill out a form. And, you know, we had to have a US address. I think I put down 11 Chicago Road, Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> but um, and you just we, made that up. If that was a real address and, you know, they sent letters to someone's house going, hi, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But we got paid, I think it was like a hundred bucks or something for nine hours of playing Frisbee, eating food. And then one particular scene, that was all we had to do. It was a, a scene where Sean Penn came out and like there was, it was a party. It was, I can't even remember. He, he won some election, I think it was. And mm. there was, you know, balloons fell. We all cheers. And like, that was it. So the camera's behind us. We were cheers and cheers. <laughs> And then Sean Penn kept coming out and messing the scene up just over and over and over again. It's so funny watching, you know, regarded as one of the best actors, come out, mess up, get angry, reset. Um, <laughs> do it over and got quite boring, actually. After I mean, $100 for nine hours probably doesn't sound like value for money, but honestly, I would do that for free. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I would. Good. Like eating, what else was it? Playing Frisbee. Like, it sounded like you were on a holiday. I know it was great. And we saw, you know, Sean Penn and Gus Van Sant was a director on one of those kind of dolly chairs spinning around for the shot. It was pretty cool just to see the inner workings of it and seeing Sean Penn mess up so much. Um, it was kind of interesting. Oh, that's that's hilarious. So thank you. Because I was wondering, I was like, oh, I want to know. And then you said you traveled for a whole year, right? Uh, yeah. So I went, that was it was kind of I just kept going. I didn't know what the end date was. I didn't intend to travel for a year, but I went from uh, California then down to New Zealand and went up that way so it was New Zealand Australia Philippines spent a month there then it was Japan Korea over to uh, Thailand Burma Myanmar um, then across the Middle East then over to Iceland and then the States again down Blimey. to South America and across <laughs> so it was, oh my it was, gosh that sounds amazing like Japan is somewhere that I need to go like yesterday um, I just, I think I'll fit in so well. Just, you know, uh, it's definitely a bit of me, but I do need to go. Do yeah. put it, it's, it's nearly top of my list, even though I've been there twice. I absolutely love it. It's my favorite place. Yeah. So yeah. My, my sister and her kids lived in Japan. Um, I think you already know this because in 2020, I was actually supposed to go visit her before the lockdown. And I already, me and my big mouth, saying to everyone in the office, oh my gosh, I'm going to Japan. <laughs> and then, and then not going. And Matt was like, hmm. Uh, <laughs> so they lived there and she loved it. Like, she absolutely loved it. So um, makes me want to go there even more. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. So moving on to your MBA story, because that's where we stopped. So... Do you want to walk us through after? Okay, we know you sat your, you know, GMAT um, exam. Just for anyone who might be listening, who might be thinking about sitting the exam or maybe a bit um, anxious about sitting the exam, is there any word of advice or any tips that you would give in how to approach that? Um, so for the exam itself, it basically the main thing is to do the free tests that you can get online. There are a load of courses out there, a load of um, YouTube videos. There's courses that you can pay for or free ones. I didn't have a huge amount of time to get stuck into it. So I just did, there was two free, I think it's official GMAT exams. So do them, you'll get an idea uh, for the flavor of the questions. It's broken into kind of um, quantitative and then I don't know what it's called, but it's English basically. So conjugating sentences, all that kind of stuff. Um, so focus more on whatever side of those two things that you're worse on i guess there there are some tricks when it comes to the english side especially where once you get it it, it it kind of repeats the same kind of problems so definitely do the practice exams um what will also take up your time apart from the gmat is the essays 
Um, so you've got to, every school will do this. You've got um, probably just several essays to complete. So questions, but here's, here's the hack <laughs> in my view. It's all about why you, why us, and why now? So why should we get, pick you to come to our school? Why do you want to come to us in particular? Um, what will we get from it? Because a lot of business schools there, um, you know, they sustain on the back of their reputation. Um, and therefore, their alumni network to either donate or just really um, be impressive enough that people want to go to that school. Um, so try and think about when you're writing the essays and when you're interviewing, if you, if you get to the interview stage of uh, through the lens of them trying to recruit me as opposed to you trying to sell yourself to them for a spot. Uh, it does definitely go both ways. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. But the main thing is, yeah, th think of it, keep your answers for any of these questions. Try and keep it concise. Try and keep, unlike what I'm doing right now. Keep, keep, <laughs> yeah, keep it concise, yeah. not what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have a framework for it. So like, what, what was the problem? What was my action? What was the impact? Something like that uh, would be a useful framework to try and think through. Because yeah, when it's readable, and you can see an outcome. That's what they want. That's what they want to see, basically. Yeah. Oh, nice. So just moving, um, moving on to. So for anyone who hasn't listened to the first episode, I'm just being cautious of people who might just start from this episode. So we're just talking about the GMAT, which is an exam that you need when you're going to do your MBA. So now, Derek, we're just going to talk about your MBA experience so I'll just pass back to you you can let us know what where you did your MBA and what that was like okay so the the other part of the application the real uh, stick in the mud for me was my MBA doing it uh, depended totally on getting a scholarship so there was a scholarship for this particular school that I was going for but you can't apply for the scholarship until you get accepted so you know there was a quick turnaround here which I know so I had to apply, do the GMAT, do my essays, get accepted, then apply for the scholarship. So you had to go through all that and pay the admin fees and all that kind of thing. But if I didn't get the scholarship, I'd have to turn it down because it was really expensive. It's, it's almost like, a, you know, US business school level fees. Which is for, for people who don't know, probably like a hundred and hundred thousand yeah. pounds or like a hundred and a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It depends on what school, right? It, yeah, we're talking like really hefty. It's not cheap at all. No, it's not cheap. If you want to get into a, a top 10, say in the US or Oh, yeah. Group, Probably be... should add it depends on the school. So the more popular schools will be in that price range. And then there's other MBAs that are probably about 50,000 pounds, right? Um, depending on if you're doing them in person, online, there's different factors, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had previously, as an aside, gone over. My brother used to live in New York. So I went and visited him once. This was a few years before when I was kind of thinking about doing an MBA. And um, I visited Columbia Business School, actually. Uh, and I sat in some classes and I met the, uh, whoever it was, the admissions person. Um, and I was totally sold because I love Columbia. I love the history of it. I love, you know, value investing. And uh, New York City is just very cool. So I, I was sold. But then it was the guts of 100 grand a year um, for a couple of years. And that's <laughs> excluding any cost <laughs> of living in New York, which is not cheap. Mm. So I, that, that didn't happen. So for this one here, um, there was a, a scholarship that is given to two European uh, candidates to go to China and do it in what's called 
Chung Kong Graduate School of Business based in Beijing. So uh, I had to apply for that then as well uh, after the application for the business school. So anyway, um, I got that scholarship, which meant I could go. I could go. So it was, it was unbelievable. Like it was a full ride through all education paid for. All I had to do was pay for accommodation, uh, which was also discounted massively for where we were living. It was amazing. Um, so that was a matter of... Uh, where did you live, sorry? Where when you live? were? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was um, right in the heart of Beijing. So it was really just beside Tiananmen Square. So if you just go east of that, there's um, a place, it's basically a huge shopping mall called Oriental Plaza, where the Grand Hyatt Hotel is in the middle. And there's two massive kind of skyscrapers on either side of it. And we were in one of them and the school was in the other. So we could actually, you know, walk to school from our apartments underground through the shopping mall uh, if we wanted, which we did do some days because the smog got so bad in winter that we didn't want to really go outside. But the travel over was um, a total blunder of an experience. So speaking of your mum, and this is why you're giving me heart palpitations hearing about extra stress in airports (laughs) because I don't really love airports after this experience. I flew over to Beijing mm-hmm. from Dublin and got to customs or, you know, the passport control and showed them my passport. They're like, okay, and your visa. And I handed it to them and they laughed at me. Uh, like, <laughs> what? What <laughs> um, are they laughing at? I don't get it. Exactly. And I had no, <laughs> they had no English. So there was this weird moment where like, no, 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 you're not getting through. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, we need your visa. I'm like, you've got it in your hand. And this back and forth went on, went on, uh, like for a long time. Anyway, I ended up getting their manager out or something, uh, you know, that the, the top customs guy came out and explained in English that this isn't the correct visa. You needed it stamped and put into your passport, not on a piece of paper separate. I was like, oh, oh gosh, well, I mean, come on, it's, it's a piece of paper. But um, so you were traveling from the UK to from Dublin, actually. From Dublin to China. So, yeah. So, so you, you already get into China, right? And they're looking no, at you. This was the week before. What I had to do was go and get a, go to the Dublin Chinese embassy or consulate. I can't remember. But anyway, I went there to get the visa, explained to them I'm going to be a student there for, you know, a year and a half. Uh, give me what I need. Um, and so I thought I got what I needed, went to China and they wouldn't let me through. And I tried everything. I was like, but how about, you know, Anybody can rock up and get a three-day visa, get to get into mm. Beijing. I figured if I get into China, then I could go to the Irish consulate and get it sorted. But they wouldn't mm. let me through. Wait, so they you were... already flew into China, though? You were in China. They just won't let you in? Uh, yeah, I was oh in the Chinese airport. And at this stage, I, I, I was queuing up like everybody. They were like, no, no, no. And I was pushing back on, well, you've got to. Like, my classes start tomorrow. Uh, I need to get through. Uh, so they put me in this security holding room for about seven or eight hours it was the worst oh. my the dean of the business she had, sorry weird question but yeah. what did you eat <laughs> nothing i was starving but oh i was it didn't God. really matter all That's i wanted like my to worst fear. I'm not <laughs> eating. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was traumatic they got like the, the sorry spirit. everyone else would be like worried about getting into the country i'm like oh my gosh what am i gonna have for lunch <laughs> <laughs> It, it's a really long story it's really quite boring but uh, it ended up being from me going I can't you know there's no way I'm not getting through I have to because it mm. starts um and actually what was happening was classes weren't starting on the Monday it was a week of kind of onboarding getting to know you where they flew everybody down to an 
area called Sanya, which is in the south of China, which was basically a week of onboarding, uh, getting to know you, drinking on a boat, just a, a week of events and fun. And then after that, the week starts. So I was like, I can't miss that. Uh, and so yeah so went, wait um, you weren't even missing your class you were no. missing the fun part it's like freshers yeah. week but for MBA correct oh devastating so <laughs> uh, my you know my uh, experience in the airport went from I'm going to get through it just requires a bit of kind of uh, understanding on both sides to no you're not going to get through fly home get the piece of paper and come back to us um so some kind soul who worked for Emirates um, ended up overhearing this conversation or something and he came up to me going and he was Chinese but had English and he's like hey buddy you're not going to get through by the way this isn't like a back and forth that you end up winning they, they've made their mind up so he goes if you want I can book you a ticket on my uh, Emirates whatever employee login um, for the next flight home and I was like oh what a hero okay so I think it was 750 euro for a one way back to Dublin, uh, which was cheap, amazing. It? Uh, well, it wasn't cheap, obviously, but I mean, it, it could have been if I was booking myself to book it in, you know, no advance notice would have been thousands probably. So mm. he booked me fair play to him. I flew back to Dublin, which was the worst trip ever because it's, you know, Beijing to I think it was Dubai, mm. seven hour wait, Dubai back to Dublin. Got back to Dublin, which was so lame because uh, I was all my family and friends were like, uh, I thought you were gone for a year and a half and you lasted like a day. So, it last long, yeah. Uh, the worst. So I had to go then to the consulate uh, and, you know, politely ask them to give me the right visa this time. Got the visa, flew back, uh, which I missed the whole of Sanya, flew into oh Beijing. And then when the NBA started proper on the Monday, I was the dumb Irish guy who didn't have a visa you know was the story that went around and they, everybody knew each other they were all drinking for a week together and I just kind of got landed in it was terrible it was just the worst start but anyway so bad. yeah it was pretty bad but I would have I would have preferred to miss a week of class than to miss that to be honest oh, sure and I'm not ashamed to say that <laughs> absolutely but it did start and then it was full on. So the way MBAs work is when you get started, you've got core modules that everybody has to do. They, for us, they lasted. It was kind of like a condensed MBA. So it was instead of two full years, it was 15 months, you know, nonstop uh, and condensing a lot of classes in. So the MBA class itself was about 50 students and the professors were, they were amazing. Some of them were local, but mostly they were, um, from US business schools. So they basically just poached a lot of them and said, you know, there, we had professors from Stanford, Duke, MIT, and they said, okay, what's your salary? And they said, blah, okay, we'll double that and you only have to come over for six months. Nice. So, oh, like, yeah, nice. yeah. so we had some of the best, honestly, some of the best in the world. Um, the core modules are ones like corporate finance, you know, operations management, ones that you need to do and accounting. So not everybody's favorite ones. Um, but you need My to do it. favorite. Yeah, my well, least, very least favorite. <laughs> and, and it was the most intense. So the first three months were of full course on. It is. Counting yeah. is so wicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you got to pass them basically, you know what I mean? So it was from September to December, full on, nonstop case studies, exams, um, head down the whole way. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I think I mentioned previously that in my college experiences, I never got the balance right. And this time I didn't either. I swung too much on if, if you can go 
between studying, networking, and partying, um, networking took a massive backseat for me because the way it was done, well, you know, people use an MBA for different reasons. For me, it was I actually wanted to learn because I had major gaps in my head of what I needed to know if I wanted to get into finance industry, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was learning to learn as opposed to some people do an MBA to build up a network. And it's kind of like an extended recruitment process where you focus more on uh, speaking to people in the industry uh, and internships, you know, and, and really focus on the internship, maybe even to get a job in that particular place afterwards. Uh, I focused on the study for two reasons, which was I wanted to learn it. And also the way it was done in Chung Kong was, well, they have loads of sister schools around the world. And so you can do about 15 months in China and then, you know, another six or seven months in a different um, MBA cohort in a different school. And they had, one of the sister schools was Columbia. In New York, and one was, um, you know, Waseda in Tokyo, and they're all over the place. And I had Columbia in my head big time because, you know, I'd previously wanted to go there, and this would be a free ride to do classes in Columbia, including value investing, and you know, the, the ones where Ben Graham taught and Warren Buffett learned, and all that kind of thing was very appealing. Yeah, we you love we love a bit of value investing, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> so that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. The issue was, uh, it was done by GPA. That was it. So mm. no need, there was only two spaces for each school uh, or yeah, two. And so I was in my head up against everybody else in the class, the, the other 50 or whatever to get the highest grade. So as you could choose Columbia number one. Um, so that's what I focused on was studying. And I did a lot of electives um, after the core modules to try and push to get the Because what it ended up being was there was this little genius called Olena. Jen and she was just like you know she she was really really smart also didn't drink and so that's a thing when you've got like so little time studying because in parallel to this we were doing this uh, desert race that we were pushing ourselves for the school has entered this for 14 years and we never won the What's award desert race it was a race in the Tengger desert which is inner Mongolia which is a province of China and it was a three-day race through the desert basically that was it and race as in what are you racing with like there was it was up against I I don't remember how many maybe 40 like running race or car race it was 40 business schools from China all gathered uh, 10 a group of 10 so a team of 10 Mm -hmm. that would go to this place the Tengger Desert and race for three days and we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. We thought, yeah, it was a race where you're running. Um, so we were doing training. Um, we were training heavily, actually. Don't, don't tell me that it ended up. <laughs> <laughs> it was intense because when I said the, the core modules, that's when we started training as well. We started training basically in October. And so my days for a lot of the time, looking back, it was kind of crazy, actually, because it was 7 a.m. We'd be at the gym. Um, again you didn't necessarily want to run outside so I want to focus because this is one thing that I really wanted to focus on and I know I was someone who wanted to get my MBA done and this is what I when I sat with people who had done their MBAs before I wanted to know like day in the life Mm. so day in the life of an MBA student you get up at what time exactly it it, okay it is what you make of it I guess and Mm -hmm. the different Parts of the MBA were different uh, experiences, but the first third of it 
it was full on intense for me. It was like, keep your head down and try not to burn out, get over the final exams for core, and then you're going to be okay. So we had the first, you know, pretty much September to uh, Christmas was for me, it was about 7 a.m. till 2 a.m., which I know sounds ridiculous, but that's what it was five days a week because we were in, we were training pretty that's your, that's your normal day now. Sorry. No, it's what not. Are you talking about? Oh, well. <laughs> no. I, I want to get back into it, but it was, it was rough because seven o'clock, be at the gym for training for the challenge. And there was 10 of us there. And we would do that and push each other. So, good. so seven till nine, classes start at nine. So whatever, seven till eight, 8.30 or something like that. We would uh, run. We were doing a lot of spinning as well and swimming. That, that was the three things we were doing. Go to class from nine till five. That was just the, the setup for what our MBA was. Uh, for most MBAs, I think it's like that for the core where you've got classes uh, for the full day. Uh, and then, then it is, that's what I mean by what you make, but some people would, that was it. Clock out at five, go home and do whatever you want. Make dinner, go in for pints. Um, prepare something that you needed to have done for the next day I was studying quite a lot because like I said I wanted to get the top GPA uh, to get to Columbia so it was really really quite intense study because you had exams but also case studies which are it's homework basically so you're given a case study a lot of MBA is teamwork as opposed to individual which can be more difficult sometimes depending on who is on your team but you know trying to gather people, get the whole project or the whole, you know, uh, deliverable consistent as opposed to somebody does this part, somebody does this and it's totally yeah. disappointing. Um, so. Who would you, and I was very happy with my university degree because I didn't have to do a lot of teamwork. And when I say teamwork, I mean like working in groups to get a score because I know myself, I'm very, when it comes to anything to do with grades and stuff, really hard working. I want to put my all in it. I don't know how I would react if someone else's, you know, behavior or lack of doing what they needed to do would affect my grade. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and there was a lot of courses that had that. And I saw people were really stressed out, like, oh my gosh, this guy's not doing what he needs to do. That's going to affect me. I'm so happy. I know that, you know, teamwork is needed and I love working in teams. But at the time, I was so happy that no one else had an influence on what grades. <laughs> or what marks I was going to get but wait at times where you had to work in teams um and I think that's where society's helped me quite a lot at university because I did gain that exposure from them but who were you in the team like were you the kind of person who brought everyone together or a person who assigned tasks or person who was like the scary person like do what you need to do or else (laughs) so yeah not everybody loves teamwork and you're right, because I know you're a bit of a perfectionist. And if you're going for a grade and it's up to you, that's fine. Go and get it. Sorry, Derek. I, I'm not a perfectionist. I, I, you are a bit. <laughs> I am, but I am learning to be to, to let go a little bit. I think I think you can say that I have, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing about business schools. They know that. So they know that everybody could just head down, do your own work. But the MBA is, I guess, more of a practical course than maybe a master's in finance in that working in teams is what life becomes you know you don't join a company and sit down log in at nine o'clock sit in excel log out at five with no interaction so uh, teamwork is really important skills to learn in terms of you know collaboration delegation all that kind of stuff 
who I was on the team because, well, sometimes I was, I had to rule with an iron fist the odd time because uh, my grades depended on it. That's again, what I was, I was looking at Alina going, she's just going to get straight A's here. But do you know what, Alina, I think you've spoken about her before. Is she the lady who started like a startup tech? Oh no. Reading thing in, oh no, there was, oh, okay. So it's not the same one. No, that that was actually an alumnus of the business school who who set up this huge, you know, unicorn, this Chinese company with uh, online education, which if anybody has kept up with the news over the past couple of years, it's obviously not doing too well (laughs) since Mm. uh, the government changed their policy towards that. Anyway, um, no, Alina was just a bit of a genius student in the class. Um, So that because of her, and I'm going to say her alone, there were other people who were going for Columbia, but she was uh, the rival. the, the teamwork was kind of stressful so at just to get this right columbia was an extension of the mba was it correct yes mm-hmm. yeah so you do the full mba in beijing and then you get to do an extension exactly in a school and if you okay. did no study you could still basically hopefully pass the mba and get you know wherever that was a cool thing there was you could have gone to different schools in the us canada uh spain france um seoul Tokyo, there was lots of different ones. And to be honest, any one of them would have been cool, but I just had my heart set on Columbia. Okay. And how long were you staying in Columbia for? If you it did? was seven months. Seven months, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the teamwork is integral to an MBA, whether you like it or not. So you, you do have to sometimes get over yourself and just go, uh, you know, have faith that some people will end up pulling their weight. Um, it did mean sometimes I'd kind of be the person who, would collate everything, bring it together, and then spend a bit of time kind of putting it, putting a nice uh, format around it or that kind of thing. So yeah, it's difficult. Sometimes the exams are easier when it's just yourself, but case studies are more fun. When, you, when you've got a good team working on an interesting case study, it is a lot of fun uh, and a lot of hard work. So I really enjoyed it actually. And my classmates were brilliant. A tough part was sometimes the language barrier where I was trying to learn Chinese at night but it's a difficult language and, um, you know, I didn't have that much time and I didn't put in as, at all as much weight into that part of the whole program as maybe I should have, because it was all, it was a MBA through English completely. So I didn't need Chinese and some, some of my classmates, their English wasn't that good. So there was that bit of a barrier as well, which you had to push through. Yeah. But, um, so I just want to, cause I know we kind of deviated from the race and I'm oh, just yeah. waiting to, okay. <laughs> because that's, that that's the- where we got into like the training and your day-to-day so after you guys trained for that race um which you thought was like a running race right what type yeah. of race was it when you got when you got back to the desert and realized oh, we got there <laughs> we got there it took a- trains and coaches it took forever to get there we got there on the very first day we were just kind of we didn't really know what to expect but we got plunked in the middle of the desert and then me and the team but my good friend Joe who's a Canadian guy was also doing the NBA the two of us were so we were fit actually at that moment in time we were as fit as we'd ever been and we're up for it so they kind of shot the gun and we're like let's go so we ran sprinted and it was on sand quite soft sand so it was kind of hard and after about maybe 60 meters we were both exhausted which is <laughs> we can't run anymore after you know 20 seconds of running we were dead and we got three days of this and um, and actually, on the first day, Joe went over his ankle and wrecked it. Because, um, of course, win- running on sand, that's not safe. No. Yeah. And actually, 
the way we, we were so in hindsight, so amateur, we were just kind of running on treadmills and going to, you know, Olympic park at the weekend and doing 10 K runs, that kind of stuff. But it was all flat. But we get to the desert. We didn't realize that it was running up a dune as quickly as you can. And then kind of sprinting down and then kind of stopping running. Cause you just mm-hmm. couldn't do it. So it was, you know, with sticks, uh, walking yeah. sticks, getting up a sand dune and then running down. That was it just constantly. So it was a totally different type of physical workout than what we had trained for. Um, to win so some business school was going to win as in get the fastest time across the whole team that was never going to be us what we were aiming for was to win what was called the sand goal award which just means all 10 members of the team completed within a certain time and that was it and so um it meant that you had to do the full race with your you know big backpack sleeping gear everything with you at all times i remember it was funny on half well maybe a couple of hours into the very first day um, a guy called Eric, that was his chosen English name on our team, had used all the toilet paper for the whole team. And we're like, we are in trouble. Straight off the bat, Joe had nearly broken his ankle. Eric had used all the toilet paper. And we all were trained for something completely different. And we were shattered wrecked. It was like 30 degrees. We're, this is going to be a major, major struggle. Fair play to Joe. He just powered through the whole three days with a really destroyed ankle um, oh, bless it. and it was, it was tough it was eight hours of desert running basically yeah covering around it was around uh, on average 25 kilometers a day and then you'd park up at night pitch up your tent uh have two packs of super noodles basically that was it and some boiled eggs we were starving obviously and that was it that was all we had and then we'd have to that share sounds like food. that sounds like me when i was poor at uni like having noodles, Indomie to be precise, like a Nigerian having noodles and egg and yeah. <laughs> that, that was it, Migo rang and then we just, the tent itself was pretty small and myself and Joe were squished into it. I remember waking up on the first day and there was just this huge black beetle on my eye that I had to peel off and throw out. One of those flying beetles that make, you know, noise oh when gosh. they're flying and bashing into the, it was gross, it was tough. Um, but we did it anyway. So three days of that, it was about 80 kilometers in total. The whole team finished within a time limit. So we actually were the first team in the business school's 14 years to actually get that award, which was brilliant. Oh, wait, so you guys won? No, 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 we did not win. We came maybe 10th out of the whole field. There was a team, I think it was Remin University, which had, I'm pretty sure they allowed 10 people into the business school because they were 10 athletes and their job was to win this award again. No, 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 we got, we weren't close in the time. Oh, okay, no, but you did quite well. Our 40 teams come 10th. It was something like that. I can't remember. It didn't matter. Yeah, the yeah. only thing that mattered was of the 40 teams, how many finished, as in all 10 completed it and no one dropped oh. out. That was the kind of all that mattered. Oh, that was the, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess this is all about that notion of teamwork again, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, I know I was saying at university, like, I'm still glad till, <laughs> till today that I didn't have to do much team assessed work but working now there's nothing that doesn't involve teamwork honestly everything involves teamwork you know I was actually I'm I'm quite glad I was able to get that through societies at university and things like that and honestly can I just say living in student accommodation is teamwork Mm -hmm. it's it's (laughs) like don't play your music at three like you really have to work together not to you know kind of eat each other up because yeah. it, it's crazy you're living with strangers right 
Um, and also I thought it was going to be like, oh my gosh, we came last because I was actually going to say that you know, there's, there's always joy in winning, but you also learn lessons from not winning as well. Um, and, and as a team kind of like holding each other, you know, supporting each other, even when you don't win, because I think that's the hardest thing. It's like, okay, we lost, but well done guys. <laughs> oh, for sure. And going through something grueling like that, there is a, it's a bonding thing as well. So you, I mean, if, if people are listening to this going, what can I do? Uh, again, it's kind of like do anything. So on a Sunday morning, instead of lying in, maybe do a park run or something like that. And you get to know people, you get to meet people. You might be part of, get to be part of a running club or something. It can be anything to just get, um, get involved. And this is how you kind of expand your network and learn about other things. But yeah, going, going through a, a three-day race with very little food and sleep was, now the 10 of us are kind of like bonded. <laughs> life because we we had that experience exactly. no toilet paper together exactly so um oh, that was so nice yeah yeah it was it was superb and then that finished I think it was February or March we finished that uh, that was when the times went to Japan so three of us uh went to Tokyo oh no it wasn't it was New Year's Eve is when we were in Tokyo sorry so we finished up then um which I absolutely loved that was I mean it was just a <laughs> A great trip and it was a real release because we finished the exams we finished the race went to tokyo ate and drank everything came back and then the elective starts then it's in the mba is you got to do your core then you choose your electives and you can focus so um i don't know what the advice is but you can focus more on the likes of marketing communications that kind of stuff you can focus on softer areas which means uh you know uh leadership or um, organizational behavior or you can focus on harder things. I don't mean harder, but more difficult, but more technical or, you know, like uh, advanced corporate finance, um, pricing derivatives, hedge funds, all that kind of stuff, what that means. Uh, I did a lot of electives because I wanted to learn all of them. And because if I didn't get a perfect grade <laughs> in one course and Alina did, it meant I had to do more than one to kind of, and get you know nail it to make up for it to just keep my gpa slightly above hers so that's why i did so many as well uh there are societies as well um which are cool running in a background i was thinking of doing consulting for a while so uh, there was there was a lot going on the mba is just so much fun i did an internship which at the time when i was going to china i was thinking maybe i'm going to stay here you know get a job here and give it a go um i ended up changing my mind about that uh, our what, reason what was, made you change your mind about honestly, living in China? A, a big thing was the pollution. It doesn't mm. sound like a big deal but when you're living there. And we didn't quite know because when you get there, everybody gets um I can't remember what it's called, but the the noise, sorry, the air pollution app. So you get up in the morning, you look at the air pollution and it's got a score. And so it goes from uh, you know, fine to severe to hazardous to like do not go outside. And we all had the Chinese oh, wow. app. And after a while, we realized, I don't think this data was right. So we all downloaded the American embassy app or whatever it was that had the real pollution score, you know, the, the count for heavy particles. Not healthy at all. It really wasn't. And you can see this yellow haze in some of the days. It was quite gross. So I'm like, I don't think I want to live here um, full time. Um, plus. And yeah, what year was this that you um, did your MBA? 2014, 15. 2014. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and so I did that because of that, I didn't put a huge amount of weight in the internship. I interned in a place called Chirty Pie, which was a used car uh, marketplace. 
So like a tech startup for all intents and purposes. Um, pretty interesting to see what goes on behind the scenes when it's like a startup with that has just been given a ton of cash. Go scale, go grow. What does it look like? Mostly it turns into, and this is why you do so many case studies, because you want to be useful to them as opposed to just sitting there and seeing what goes on. So you get given projects like mine was mostly around competitive landscape. Who else is out there in China? Who are competitors? What are they offering that we're not? What are the prices? All that kind of stuff. So it was genuinely using what you learned and the case study format to present something to. In my case, it was like, you know, the founder and CEO, which is pretty cool when you're presenting going, here's what it looks like. Uh, he already knew most of this stuff anyway, but there might have been a couple of things that you could share. Um, so yeah, the internship was not a huge deal for me. Again, it was focused on the exams. And then when I ended up going to uh, Columbia, then I was, again, still focused on study because at this stage, the grades didn't really matter. I had my MBA. Um, this was an added bonus. So yeah, the grades didn't matter, but I still wanted to push myself because Columbia is, you know, one of the top business schools in the world. It was Ivy League, so I wanted to see what that looked like behind the scenes. Um, mostly people, these aren't, you know, by default, everybody's not an absolute genius just because they're an Ivy League. Mm. By Ivy League, I mean like a Harvard or, uh, you know, yeah. or Princeton, yeah. Brown, whatever. Um, you know, they're, they're mostly just normal people and teamwork is similar as it was in China. Um, but they were, my classmates were really cool. The electives I chose, now I could pick whatever I wanted. Um, and the way it's done is quite interesting. In Colombia, it's a point system. So you're given something like 10,000 points and you, you kind of, it's like an auction almost. You allocate saying, I'm going to put 2,000 points on emerging markets because I want to study that. And whoever, you know, then it's a marketplace system. So you put in 2,000 and it turns out if the cutoff was, you know, 2,200, you don't get into it. So I took my 10,000 and I think I allocated like nine and a half thousand for value investing because that's what everybody wanted to do because that's where Warren Buffett went and, you know, that's where it was kind of almost founded with Ben Graham. So I ended up doing that course, loving it uh, and, and focusing on more on the investment side, really. But there was a couple of other cool courses like creativity and stuff uh, that we did. Um, when I finished the MBA then, uh, I, I, I applied for a job in the company that, where we ended up working, actually, Esther, I don't know if you know that, but I did apply for the headquarters. I think, yeah, been, I, did, I didn't know that, actually, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get it. There's a couple of reasons. Firstly, I couldn't get a visa. At the time, getting a H-1B was really difficult because Trump was just about to get in, I think it was. And was all the H-1, what, what did you call the visa? It, it just allows a foreigner to work in a US company. So oh, okay. what has to happen is the company has to sponsor oh, okay. called H-1B visa. H-1B, I think. Yeah. And, you know, there's a certain number of them given out a year and all that kind of thing. But mostly the companies were going, this isn't worth it because we don't, there was no real clear guidance as to what Trump would do uh, when he got in. So they're all like, we'll just hire Americans. This isn't worth it. So that was one reason. Another reason was, in hindsight, I think it was pitching a bit above my weight. I, the job I applied for was the only one really that was open at the time. And it was a you know, senior researcher role. And I got through a few rounds of the interview. And then when I got to the round where I was interviewed by what was the head of research for this division, yeah. and he's like, oh, what languages do you know? I was like, well, you know, English, a bit of French, Irish for what it's worth. Small bit of Chinese. 
And he's like, no, no, no. What, what, what can you call me? I was like, yeah, they think they meant. <laughs> no. And they so I was like, no, nothing. I didn't think they meant spoken languages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a <laughs> heavy role. So I was like, well, that's me gone. So I went from New York then back to Dublin, worked in a hedge fund. That was my kind of, okay, I've got my MBA now. I want to work in investment management. By the way, I decided throughout those kind of two years, I want to do investment management. You've got all these choices of what you'd like to do or what you'd like to pitch for. The big ones, in my view, were management consulting. So, and the big companies there, in case people are interested, it's called MBB. It's where everybody wants to work. It's McKinsey, BCG, and Bain. They're the big three. Then mm-hmm. there's- And where investment. are those headquartered? Are they- No, they're, they're global businesses. They're all, they're you know, the headquarters are all in the US. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in Colombia, I did do consulting courses as well. We got to go to the headquarters of uh, McKinsey in New York City, um, which was cool. Just again, seeing how they work, um, what, what the office even looks like is kind of interesting. Just seeing, uh, you know, pull behind the curtain of mm-hmm. headquarters of McKinsey, these people who are in their world, they're masters of the universe. You know, everybody is in their own little bubble. But if you want to do consulting, they're the three to aim for. If you want to do investment banking, it was always kind of like, uh, Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. Well, there's there's loads of them, but I guess they were the big ones. Or if you want to do investment management, then it kind of depends. And by that I mean it depends what kind of investing you want to get into. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I particularly wanted to get into, but I had applied for them already in Texas. But broad strokes, and you'll know this like the back of your hand. But if you're going to invest your money in the markets, just say long only for now, just normal buy and hold. Do you do it um, through uh, an index approach? So just try and track a market. Do you do it through what's called traditional active, which is stock picking or some kind of quant? So you're you're trying to beat the market by being smarter than everybody else, which is obviously the most fun. Or do you want to do it through an evidence-based approach? Uh, And and that was where I kind of lined up uh, pretty well. Um, yeah, let's just, let's just go back to, because obviously you've said, you know, the management consultant, investment bank and investment management. What drew you more to investment management rather than the other two? Um, it was the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to do. Also, at this stage, I was kind of really quite into markets and following uh, what's going on. Picking stocks, you know, investing in it, so, you know, started having skin in the game. So when you've got money on the line, you're way more interested as opposed to, oh, what's going on with that particular company? When if you've got money in it, then you're kind of part of the process and you will do analysis. So Absolutely. And I, I enjoy learning about all the analysis that you've done on whatever companies or whatever you're holding. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is this is what you learn. I mean, from doing the value investing, the analysis that I was doing was basically discounted cash flow modeling or uh, liquidation value or comps or there's different ways to value a company by doing what's called fundamental analysis actually looking at the financial statements so the three you know income statement cash flow statement balance sheet dive into them see if you can spot something that the consensus of everybody else hasn't spotted and put your money on the line on the back of that that's one type of analysis fundamental another type is technical so just looking at patterns looking at its price chart over time and trying to predict where it goes based on that. There's lots of different ways of doing different analysis. Um, what you end up, what I ended up learning over time is when you're doing fundamental analysis, a, a lot of what you find is already baked into the price. 
So what you start looking at more is uh, thinking about, um, you know, the management team, uh, the TAM, what can this company actually go after over the long or the total addressable market, uh, the flows, what fund managers are invested in this and what is their mandate? Um, is it part of an index which will naturally get some liquidity? Uh, oh, there's all these other questions that come for me came a lot later than okay learning about financial statements and how to value companies yeah. um, and then the hedge fund that i went into was totally different completely different to this it was uh, an alternatives manager and someone who's thinking you know what is a hedge fund what's that i've never heard of it before <laughs> <laughs> yeah it can be base. it can be anything it can be anything you want to set up a, a fund to invest money to try and beat the markets or um or give some kind of cushion when markets do really badly. So what people forget is, you know, there's a famous example of um, Warren Buffett saying, uh, you know, the S&P 500, which just tracks the 500, call it roughly 500 biggest companies in the US, that will beat uh, any hedge fund over, I can't remember the timeline, I think it was 10 years. And somebody took that bet, they did that, and yeah, Warren Buffett won and the S&P did better. Mostly that's what happens. But what people don't realize is a hedge fund isn't necessarily trying to do the exact same thing. So, for example, in the down years when the market was down, call it nearly 50% in 2008 and 9, the hedge fund might be down 15%. And that might be what people are actually trying to target, lower uh, drawdowns or lower volatility, whatever it is. In general, hedge funds tend to mean trying to beat the market by having some approach that, that's different. So you've got to deviate from the market if you want to beat it. So you Therefore, you're probably going to be less diversified. So what are you going to focus on? Um, I've been talking a lot about stocks mostly because it's, it's the biggest area. The other area is bonds. The other, they're the two big asset classes. And then yeah. another approach is alternatives. Yeah. And that can be anything from real estate to commodities um, to private equity, private investments. Uh, it can be venture capital. It can be anything that's not publicly traded uh, included as well. So what I was in was a strategy called managed futures. So you're investing in stuff, underlying things can be anything. We happen to be mostly commodities, equities, and interest rates, um, but you're investing via futures. Um, so what we would do in a hedge fund was, was a fund of funds approach. So we would allocate money to different hedge fund managers across different strategies. So we'd give money to a long-term trend followers. Uh, short-term managers, uh, FX, global macro, uh, value arbitrage, different strategies, put them together. And the idea was they're not necessarily correlated. So when long-term trend following might be doing really well, um, short-term might be having a difficult time. And what you're trying to do is get the correlation right. So when you're, you're building portfolios of these different approaches, and even more than returns, you're looking at correlation. Does the whole portfolio sing well together? It's like building you know, proper orchestra as opposed to just get the highest returns from everybody, which is you know, impossible to do. Um, so that was a particularly interesting job that I was on the research team for that role. And what I learned, what I learned an awful lot, the team was really quite amazing. And um, you know, for me personally, I learned that I, I, I don't want to spend my whole time doing analysis. Half the job was pretty much analysis and half the job was what we would call managing the managers. So you'd get to know the strategies that we're investing in in really good detail by speaking to the managers, talk me through your strategy, talk me through the performance over the last year, 
uh, try and understand what's driving performance based and what the outlook is. And I love that element of it was, you know, yeah. talking to people, understanding. Yeah. So as a researcher for those, especially like graduates being kind of like junior researcher positions and things of that sort, it's mainly managing managers and analyses or like the bit, biggest part of the role as a researcher. Is that correct? For us, it was. It depends what research role you're mm. going into. If it's a very quant heavy role, then researcher would mean, uh, you know, spending a lot of time in data tables. And Python and different kind of languages. Mostly what the role ends up being, I think, for the most part, is here's a huge data set, collate it, put it into uh, some readable format, and then pull, you know, synthesize from it some interesting takeaways to present to. For us, it was we'd present to the CIO. There was like a weekly meeting we had, monthly meeting, um, a biannual meeting, and then a, a year roundup meeting. So a lot of the time, you're just kind of constantly going, putting together stuff for the next presentation, which was, you know, an overview of what's happened over the past week, month, six oh, okay. months. Here. Yeah. That's so the obviously the CIO, the chief investment officer, just helping them uh, within their role by obviously providing all this support from, you know, underneath. Exactly. Exactly. And the analogy would be, which I learned on the campaign was when you hear uh, congressmen or senators or whatever speak, and they sound like they might be an authority on a subject, whatever it is. <laughs> they don't know anything necessarily, but they've got aides or people who pull together talking points and they just repeat them. It's kind of similar. That takes nothing away from anybody. Our CIO was uh, incredible and he'd find, you know, issues or, uh, you know, interesting things instantly. But, the, the, you know, they don't have time to know the nuanced details. Absolutely. Of quite cheekily sometimes obviously when I have client calls and they're like oh so what do you do I'm like yeah I do all the work and the sales directors <laughs> take all the credit and they're like oh yeah <laughs> they're brief but yeah we understand but essentially yeah. that's the way it goes because essentially when you're at the top there's a lot of things you don't have time to do so you have to definitely delegate all of that oh lovely so with that hedge fund experience that sounds like you enjoyed it and um how did you then obviously leave that to then move away from that. I really enjoyed it. And I was lucky to have the role. It was great. Um, I had, people are so lucky these days. <laughs> I wish I had it back then or at least knew about it, but there's so many podcasts and, you know, blogs or sub stacks or whatever of the best minds in the world in investing that you can just listen to for free. So I, I won't go on the whole list, but just as an example, I know we're all fans of Howard Marks from Oak Tree. So just listening to his thoughts um, and it might only be once a month for 40 minutes or something like that. Um, you can go from that, you know, big ideas infrequently down to daily market uh, updates from just, again, some of the best minds around. So there's so much material out there. And I started getting into it uh, quite a lot. And I still am into it. And so what I wanted to do was move into, uh, you know, this firm that I previously applied for in the US. I still had that in the back of my head. That I knew from teaching that options pricing, it was still there. And a role opened up in London. And it was a role that I wanted because uh, it was, it seemed to be uh, just a culmination of everything that I had worked so far. It was a sales role for all intents and purposes. You know the role well, Esther, but a lot of it is around uh, educating. So helping our clients understand the investment approach. It was an awful lot of teamwork, of course, as it is. It was a lot of um, understanding the, the landscape, which my, you know, political role helped with there was it, everything just seemed to be coming together hedge fund 
helped a lot when it comes to analysis and the practical level um, of investing. And then I had been doing my own investing as well. So, and, and this investment philosophy synced up a lot more with what I wanted. So mm. I applied for that and then moved to London. It was uh, three and a half years ago for mm. that particular role, uh, where I have been since. So you obviously moved from Dublin to London. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's where we are. And then since last we spoke, I uh, have I've now been given a region. So it's called a regional director. So you've got a region and now it's like, that's your book of clients. clients. The two big things is deliver a great experience for your clients. So keep those who are currently invested in our funds happy and updated. And then the other thing is uh, try and find more clients. Of course, it's always going to be part of sales. So that's what I'm trying to do at the moment is balance those two things. And i got a great team backing me up as well. So it is a lot of fun at the moment. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's, I think it's so good for people to just understand exactly what roles are before you actually get into them. I had an understanding, but only to a certain extent, because I, I definitely did have surprises along the way. Um, and I think this is why it's always good to just hear firsthand, you know, people's experiences. And, you know, being someone who's worked with Derek for a long time, he is such a pleasure. <laughs> to work with I, th- I definitely think there's a few people who I'm always I always try to do my best but I think when it definitely comes to especially you a, a lot of people who I respect I definitely never want to let you guys down you're firstly so smart right but then it actually is such a great leader in the sense that whenever anyone needs help whether it be me or anyone else you lead with such grace you're never like oh, that's a stupid question and it's just it's really refreshing to have people like that around you oh I think it's it's great what you've done and I want you to continue doing this podcast I'm really looking forward to listening to the rest I hope um I've got some people in mind that I really want you to interview and I hope you do oh nice Um, I would love to but I have had um you know thinking of you and you're always hustling and like talking to people and networking and that kind of thing I had two people reach out to me over the past two weeks just you know randomly on LinkedIn totally cold saying oh interesting you work here I'd love to learn more would you be up for meeting or talking through or something and having heard my story you know what do you think I said of course I'd be happy to because I wish I was as uh, resourceful you know as them back in the day I definitely wasn't these guys like 22 well one guy was 22 one guy was you know older um but you know it's a great idea just and if that's one thing to take away from Esther's podcast is go out there put yourself out there try and uh, ask for help because mostly they'll end up being people who are really happy to to help where they can um that's one thing and then the other thing is like I was just saying it's it's trying so now I'm in pretty I, I think I'm in a great place in my job I love it but I don't want to get complacent you know it's very Absolutely. easy to just can I just say I mm-hmm. never I can never put those words together Derek and complacency it's just not it's not it's impossible you know well, people like you will continue to help push me. And, you know, it's, it's keep trying to better yourself. That's keep so funny on. that you, like, I'm the, no. <laughs> you're, you're the one that pushes all of us, definitely. But it's, no, thank you. I, wow. Very, um, yeah. <laughs> so that was one big takeaway anyway. Put yourself out there. Try not to get complacent. Um, and hopefully this, well, these two episodes spark something um, in your listeners to, to kind of maybe push themselves a bit more take a chance it doesn't matter how small but just just do something that you would be afraid to do or you know 
it might seem like it's a bit cheeky, but go for it, I'd say. Absolutely. I agree with you. And, you know, don't be afraid to build your own personal brand because it's so easy. And I think it's such a competitive industry. And obviously this is the first asset manager or investment management firm that I've ever worked for. But I, I have un- come to understand that in some cases it can be quite heavily competitive on the inside as well, which I think what we have is such a lovely culture where we definitely try to um, rise together and help each other. But some people who are in such cultures where they feel like I'm in this alone, I have to keep going, don't feel that way. There's definitely people out there, especially in the same industry, who want to see you succeed and who want to help you. So as Derek says, just reach out. Maybe it's a case of broadening your network a little bit um, and just seeing what else is out there. But yeah, definitely. Derek, thank you so much. It's been, do you know what? I'm looking at the time going, what? Excuse me. Like that is crazy. It feels like we've been talking for 10 minutes. Um, but yeah we definitely have to do this again to just delve into your investmenty brain and stuff and get to learn more about what you think about different topics but this has been amazing thank you so much Derek thank you you're going to have amazing people to talk about when it comes to uh, investments and what they how they put their own money to work so at a later date I'd be happy to but um, yeah you're going to have some good people on that yeah amazing thank you very much thanks Esther Thank you for listening to the Representing Her podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, subscribe and get in contact with any questions you might have. Be sure to share with anyone who might find value in these conversations and follow us on Instagram to keep up to date with us. See you on the next episode. Bye.